0: grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text is from the 15th chapter of St. Luke. Some have called our parable the greatest short story in the world. It may, may very well be so, It is deliciously intricate with twists and turns that amaze us. We're accustomed to calling it the parable of the prodigal son, but that really misses the point. Even if we call it the parable of the two sons, it would miss the point. We need to take our cue from the opening verses of this chapter in which there are three distinct parables all of them describing our Heavenly Father's attitude toward us. Each parable describes something lost and found. And here are those opening words from verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners. And eats with them. I could easily spend an hour preaching on this parable because it is so rich in particulars. And yet, parables have but one main point of comparison, and that needs to be our focus. Pay attention to the audience when Jesus told this. There were tax collectors and sinners coming to him. And there were the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled, complained about this. We have a term in exegetical theology called Sitz im Leben, German for the life situation in which something takes place, the circumstances. In my last year at the seminary, there was a graduate student in my class on parables, Kenneth E. Bailey who is professor of New Testament at the Near East School of Theology in Beirut, Lebanon. And because of his work in the Arab world, he brought some very enlightening insights to our understanding of this parable. Let's begin with the younger son, the prodigal. We've seen his life play out countless times. People with more money than sense, usually professional athletes and celebrities who waste millions of dollars on luxuries, parties, drugs, alcohol, and downright depraved living. One need not have lots of money to do this, but it certainly helps. One can live a depraved life without a lot of money, and it's become a common scene in our culture. This younger son makes a shocking request of his father. He wants his inheritance immediately. In the society of Jesus' day, this could mean only one thing. Dr. Bailey tested this out with countless village groups in the Middle East, and the answer was always the same. Here's what Bailey records. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? This request means he wants his father to die. We see others as prodigals but seldom ourselves, but we too have been like this younger son. We want our independence from our Heavenly Father. We want what we want and we want it now. I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most, so we confess in the rite of private confession. If God were dead, we could do what we want. We have simply been consumed with ourselves. Getting what we consider to be ours has been all that has mattered. We too have lived in a far country. We have flaunted our Father's law and shoved it back into His face. We have been openly disobedient we have often lived in that kind of open defiance of doing what we want to do and what God does not want us to do. This son sinks pretty low, about as low as it can get. He has hurt his father as deeply as a son can. His request wounds his father, but amazingly, his father grants it. Once he blew all of his money on riotous living, he found himself living a kind of skid row existence. He decides he must do something to get out of it. But when he came to himself, is a Hebrew expression of repentance. He realizes how badly he has treated his father. He realizes how unworthy he is. He will go and confess to his father. He will ask that his father hire him as a servant. He will live with the villagers, with the other servants in the village, not in his father's home. He hopes to make up for what he has squandered, some people might say, to atone for his sin, but there is really no way for him to make this happen. His thinking is all wrong. He sees his sin in economic terms. He'll pay back the money, yet it isn't the money which is the issue. It is the sin of rebellion. He doesn't yet see what needs attention. That is, the broken relationship with his father. He is still in that far country, so to speak. Remember that this parable is really about the Father's disposition toward us. The surprising thing at this part of the parable is that the Father has been waiting for Him to come home. Jesus says that when this Son was still far off in the distance, His Father saw Him. He was looking for Him. That's masterful. We know of instances where parents have refused to speak to children who have disappointed them in some way. But here is a father who has been watching for his wayward son to come home. Not only was the father looking for him, he was overjoyed when he spied him on the road. Leaving all of his dignity behind, the father ran out to meet him, his robes flapping in the wind, probably revealing his elderly legs, and quite possibly, says Bailey, his nakedness. All of that doesn't matter to the father. He disgraces himself in the eyes of the villagers, all because his prodigal son was coming home. The father disgraces himself. Hold on to that thought. The son's first confession, which he has rehearsed, but doesn't speak to his father, was not really a confession at all, in spite of the words. He still carries that change in his pocket because he thinks that he can earn his way back into his father's favor It is only when his father embraced and kissed him that his heart is changed. And in this real confession, the second confession, he gets it right. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He has finally realized how deeply he has hurt his father. He is unworthy of sonship. But the father interrupts him, and the father does the unexpected. He hugs and kisses him and commands his servants to prepare a huge feast. He directs them to put on this wayward son the best robe, shoes on his feet, a signet ring on his finger. In an instance, this horribly disappointing son is fully restored to sonship in his father's house. It is nothing short of amazing. Kenneth Bailey wrote a four-act play on this parable, and from that play comes this dialogue where the restored son says to his friend, I didn't think it would be like that at all. His friend replies, That's because you never knew until that moment what your father was really like. At this point, we seem to have a happy ending, but no, there isn't. There's the older son, and this is where it probably begins to hit us much closer to home. Jesus continues by describing this older son who has been out in the field and he hears the sounds of celebration in the house. He asks the servant, what is taking place? There's a great celebration, but nobody informed him about this. He's deeply disappointed to have been left out of the loop. This older son is not happy. He is not happy that his brother has come back. In fact, he's downright furious. But like his younger brother, he too is in rebellion against his father. He simply doesn't realize it. Remember that word from verse 2 of the chapter, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. The son, this son, grumbles and complains about the celebration. He insults his father by questioning his father's sanity. He does all this by placing himself at the center of everything. He complains that he hasn't gotten his rights and that he's been treated unfairly. But nothing could have been further from the truth. His father had divided the inheritance among them according to the law. The older son got the lion's share when his brother got his. In fact, he still had it. He hadn't wasted it on sinful living like his prodigal brother, but he had accepted it. He had it in his pocket, so to speak. Both sons are in rebellion That's a point that's often missed in this parable. Here's an important point, one that I've tried to make during this Lenten season. Sin is more than mere transgression of specific commandments. It's also a failure to do the right thing. It's a matter of being in sin as much as it is committing sin. The younger son's sins were very transparent. Everyone could see them. The tax collectors and sinners were quite open about their sins. But the sin of the older son is hidden under a veneer of obedience. We can't read his heart by his actions until now. He despises his father's mercy. He wants his brother judged on the basis of the law. His anger controls his heart, his thoughts, and his words. Incredibly, his anger is turned toward his father. He refuses to come in when the other servants tell him to come in and to celebrate with his father and the others. And then his father disgraces himself yet again by coming outside to speak to his son. His guests would have been aghast. That he leaves them to go out and plead with his son to come in. The father has debased himself for the second time that day. When the prodigal returned to his father, he addressed him as Father. But the older son refuses to use that title. The omission is intentional. And it is meant to wound, to hurt. He really sees himself as a slave, not as a son. The older son has broken the relationship with his father and with his brother by refusing to use their names. This son of yours is doubly cruel. The older son places himself above his father. He clearly cannot live within the family relationship and fellowship. He is full of envy, pride, bitterness, sarcasm, anger, resentment, self-centeredness, hate, stinginess, self-satisfaction, and self-deception, all the while believing himself to be righteous. This Rebellion of this son is now plain for all to see. He has wounded his father deeply. Masterfully, Jesus has woven this parable for his audience, for his hearers, the religious people. I think we probably find ourselves more like the rebellious older son, than the rebellious younger son perhaps you've been that younger son but it seems that more likely we are the older son we are resentful of those who repent and get forgiveness at the last moment those who are accepted back into the family we are apt to be all of those things that he is because many of us have said in effect Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This older son compares the grand feast of a fattened calf to the fact that he never even got a goat, the minimal basis for a feast. It is yet another hurt aimed at his father. Both sons have grieved their father. Each has sinned, but in different ways. There is one repentant son who has been restored by the sheer grace of his father, and there is the other son who refuses to repent even when his father implores him. The older son is still in the far country The parable ends here. (laughs) It's unfinished as far as we are concerned. The father is still outside begging his older son to come into the feast. It's really the feast of salvation that's meant here. The parable remains unfinished because it is being written on a daily basis by you and me. The chief question that you must ask yourself is this Do I see my sin as sin against my Father, worthy of his punishment? Do I realize how much I have grieved my Father by my sins? Do I cast myself on his mercy so that he forgives me for Christ's sake alone? Do I forgive my brother? Jesus was pleading with the Pharisees and the scribes to come into the Father's house and to rejoice in the return of the prodigal sons and daughters who had believed in him. Today is the fourth Sunday in Lent, known formerly in the Latin as Litare, from the first words of the introit. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice! It is the Father's greatest joy to forgive you and welcome you to this feast of salvation. Listen to the words at the end of the second parable, the parable of the lost coin. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And this celebration continues every Sunday as we celebrate this feast of salvation, this sacrament of Christ's body and blood. Here you are fed heavenly food. Here you receive once again the Father's forgiveness through His only begotten Son, Jesus. Here He receives you, putting on you the robe of His righteousness in holy baptism. Here He restores you to sonship here is fellowship with the Father in heaven here is fellowship with your fellow forgiven sinners here you enjoy the Father's lavish kindness and mercy here you join in the Father's joy how wonderfully we sang the hymn writer's summary for us Today your gate is open and all who enter in shall find a father's welcome and pardon for their sin. The past shall be forgotten, a present joy be given, a future grace be promised, a glorious crown in heaven. Today our Father calls us, His Holy Spirit waits, His blessed angels gather around the heavenly gates. No question will be asked us how often we have come. Although we oft have wandered, it is our Father's home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.